As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce the Plus CBD Relief line of soft gels. Plus CBD Relief is the ideal way to help promote a healthy inflammatory response. Plus CBD Relief is doctor-formulated with recovery-supporting ingredients, including CBD, CBDA, and Levagen plus PEA. Relief soft gels help address minor everyday soreness, support joint function, and encourage recovery following strenuous activity. All Plus CBD products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. And with a 90-day satisfaction guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's Relief Soft Gels. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and today we're going to talk about uh, intermittent fasting, specifically something abbreviated TRF, time-restricted feeding. The occasion is the publication of an article that I wrote in conjunction with today's guest. Uh, she she co-wrote the article with me about intermittent fasting. It appeared in Natural Medicine Journal. Uh, our guest is uh, Carolyn Gazella. She's been writing and publishing integrative health information since 1992. She is the publisher of Natural Medicine Journal, and although she is not an MD or an ND, she writes authoritative articles and uh, provides uh, lots of educational materials to health practitioners. She's also the author or co-author of uh, numerous articles and several booklets and books, including The Definitive Guide to Thriving After Cancer that she wrote with Dr. Lee Zalschuler. We've talked to uh, Dr. Alshuler frequently here on Intelligent Medicine. Uh, she is also co-creator and chief executive officer of the I Thrive Plan and co-host of the Five to Thrive radio program. That's an innovative online wellness program specifically for cancer uh, survivors. Uh, so uh, with that uh, resounding introduction, uh, Carolyn, it was really fun writing, collaborating uh, uh, on this article with you. Yes. Well, thank you for having me on the show and, and thank you for uh, doing the article with me. It's always a pleasure working with you, Dr. Hoffman. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and so uh, what we did is we tried to provide a rundown on uh, the uh, scientific literature about intermittent fasting, uh, the benefits, the potential limitations. So, you know, let's start out with uh, a definition, you know, because, you know, there's well, people throw these terms around intermittent fasting, time restricted feeding. What's what does that comprise? Yeah, it's an important one because it's very confusing. So there are a lot of uh 
different ty- or several uh, popular types of intermittent fasts. Uh, there's the alternate day fast, uh, where you reduce your calories on the alternate day. Uh, there's the five-two fast, where five days are normal eating and two days are restricted eating with reduced calories. And then there's overnight fasting, which is really what you and I wanted to focus on uh, with this paper. The overnight ref- uh, fasting is also called time-restricted feeding in the scientific literature. So that's what we focused on, and and frankly, that's what I wanted to focus on because that I was uh, trying it out myself. Oh yeah. So I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to figure out, you know, why does it work? How does it work? What does the scientific literature say about the health benefits? Um, so yeah, so that's why I wanted to do it, and of course, um, joining forces with you uh, is always great uh, to have you be a part of our journal. Indeed, indeed, it's always fun. And, you know, we came across a, a lot of articles, and actually this, this is uh, somewhat controversial, uh, because uh, obviously intermittent fasting is uh, a vogue kind of thing. Uh, in fact, uh, this morning, uh, I was staying with uh, some family members, uh, and uh, one of our uh, younger family members uh, came downstairs, and I said, uh, would you like uh, some bacon? I just made up some uh, bacon. And he said, oh, no. He says, I'm starting my intermittent fast today. <laughs> so it, it really is, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's kind of taken the country by storm. In fact, there, there are even apps to monitor your intermittent fasting so that you can record it and you can, uh, graph it. And, you know, these are things that I appeal, I think, to a younger demographic. Uh, so yeah, it's taken off. Yeah. It's- it really is. I, I, I run into people who are trying it as well, and, and I did see the software. I haven't tried that. You know, I'm old school. When I started tracking my uh, fasting time, I used just a little bit of a little diary, and I would handwrite it in the date, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the amount of time of my f- overnight fast, how long I was able to fast. And then I also started tracking exercise. And I know we're going to be talking about the connection yeah. between exercise and exercising on an empty stomach. Um, so I started yeah. to track those those things. And um, and I, I think it's cool that there's an app, to be honest with you. Uh, but yeah, I think that there is something to be said when you actually uh, consciously track your eating in any in any form, uh, and then when you add to that, you're you're consciously tracking your activity levels. I I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm real pleased with this trend. Indeed. Uh, so what about the duration of this? You know, uh, you know, often they tell you, you know, eat dinner and then don't have any snacks, uh, and you know, and then uh, uh, you know, have a hearty breakfast. You know, so it's like what maybe. 12 hours, uh, does that cut it when it comes to uh, intermittent fasting? You know, the research that you and I uh, explored showed that it, it may not for some mm-hmm. people. Um, so the fasting time can be anywhere from 12 hours. And, and you recently sent me uh, a paper from the University of Illinois, Chicago, that was in uh, the journal Cell Metabolism. Now, that fast, I was... I was pretty amazed by because the two groups had a, a 20 hour fast and a 17 yeah. hour fast. You have like a four to six I, hour uh, window of eating <laughs> and heck yeah, you're going to lose weight. 
You yeah, know? I, I know that was one of those. Duh. Um, yeah, yeah it, right. uh, you know, and, and they're down to they were down to like 550 calories mm-hmm. a day, and mm-hmm. so yeah, so that that one I didn't I didn't really spend a lot of time reviewing, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you with the the fast, it seems like for me personally, and in the scientific literature, that sweet spot seems to be 14 hours, mm-hmm. um, yeah. 14 to 16, um, and it, and for me, I can tell you for me personally, uh, 12 hours did not do it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't lose weight and I didn't feel as good. Uh, so, so I've been tracking for several months now. It took me a while to, um, get up to, uh, the, this 14 hour sweet spot that I've been aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I hit that, uh, in June and I'm going to easily probably exceed that in July, but you know, it took me March and April to kind of ease into it. So I don't know if everybody will have to do that, but it does seem mm-hmm. like that 14 hours is, is the sweet spot. Right. And you mentioned easing into it. You know, my, uh, uh, family member this weekend, you know, went from kind of zero to 60. Uh, he's embarking on a rather ambitious 16 hour, uh, intermittent fast right away. I mean, he's that kind of guy. You know, it's like, okay, I'm doing this. But is mm-hmm. that, uh, the most, you know, the best way to, uh, phase that in for a lot of people, according to our research? Yeah, according to our research, it is not. Um, uh, the author that one of the papers that really caught our eye was uh, with Matson and mm-hmm. DeCabo that was in the New England Journal of Medicine. That was, um, that was a milestone. That paper was amazing. It really because, was. You, know, you read the New England Journal of Medicine, you read about esoteric diseases, you read about new drugs and vaccines, and okay, it's like conventional medicine all over. The, but here is a landmark article, uh, you know, really positive article about uh, the benefits of intermittent fasting. I was really delighted to see it positioned in the New England Journal of Medicine. I was too. I was too. And, I, and um, you know, I've been following, um, Walter Longo has been researching this uh, for a while too. And as it turns out, Longo and Matson have also published together. Mm-hmm. So, so Matson has really been on top of this. And there, there was uh, some, some quotes from those researchers saying that um, it is best to ease into mm-hmm. this uh, rather than that, rather than go full forward. So that, that's really what I did as well. Um, my ease in was kind of natural. I had difficulty in the beginning yeah. uh, doing more than than twelve, mm-hmm. um, honestly. So it was it was more of a natural progression. Uh, but l- as I said, you know, I started tracking in March, uh, March and April, and then you know May and June, mm-hmm. I, I was right right up there uh, to the to the fourteen fourteen hours. So it didn't take me too long. Um, and then now I'm trying to uh, edge it uh, closer to. Um, that 16 hour, uh, but that's that's a little bit more challenging for me. But yeah, I, I think easing into it is is a good way to go. So, some practical questions come up from uh, my listeners and my patients sometimes: is can you have a, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? Uh, can you make it bulletproof coffee? You know, with MCT oil or coconut oil or uh, you know butter or ghee. Uh, is this permissible on an intermittent fast or is it uh, violating the, the tenets of intermittent fasting to have anything? Well, in the strictest sense, uh, you know, cream in your coffee is not prohibited. You know, you, you really shouldn't have anything. 
for for that time of the fast. Um, you know, you when it's when it says I mean, you can have tea, obviously, and you can have black coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you know, you really non caloric non caloric beverages. Or, you Ex- know. Exactly, right. exactly. Now I did I did uh, you know make an exception because I'm a coffee girl, Doctor yeah. Hoffman. I, yeah. I have to have my coffee, and I have to have it with cream. So what I did was I use a heavy cream because it mm-hmm. has less sugar mm-hmm. rather than half and half. Right. So that would be, is that the bulletproof uh, yeah, that's version? Yeah, that's a variation yeah. on bulletproof. And, you know, this I think also ties into one of the mechanisms by which uh, the diet is beneficial. Uh, it is thought, and I think Matson wrote about this and others, uh, to induce uh, ketosis. So it is, mm-hmm. it's kind of a way to have at least a period of ketosis during the day. I mean, you may violate the tenets of uh, ketogenic diet with your ordinary diet when you start eating, say, you know, 10 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Uh, you know, maybe have some carbs and break ketosis. But you actually create at least a temporary state of ketosis during this fast, right? Absolutely. That's that's one of the big advantages. And, and I, I will tell you that I did go into this to try to lose a little weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and having having my body shift from utilizing glucose uh, and, and going from a more of a fat mobilization versus fat storage was really critical to me. And, and you're talking about mechanisms of action. And I think that was a really key part of our paper because that's what we wanted yeah. to explore for our practitioners. So it's we it's not to- just about caloric restriction. In other words, I think that, no. that I mean, obviously, you know, you have less opportunity to eat. Okay, you know, the witching hour is usually, you know, when you're watching uh, the late show, you know, and you get the, you know, the, the you know, the pint of uh, ice cream out uh, or the cookies. And yeah, okay, so you're going to eschew that type of eating. You're going to, you might lose some weight, but that's not all right. really everything about this, is it? No, not at all. And, and that's what we wanted to do with this paper. For our healthcare practitioners who are reading this, we wanted to put all of those mechanisms of action in one place so they didn't have to read 10 different papers. And, 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 and I can tell you for me personally, I'm a cancer survivor. I had ovarian mm-hmm. cancer mm-hmm. when I was 33 years old. I'm now 58. So I have been a menopausal woman, you know, for 25 years. And I can tell you that it messed with my metabolism big mm-hmm. time. Yes. You know, I was always able to like, oh, I put on a few pounds, I lose a few pounds, you know, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden this happened. And one of the things that attracted me to this way of eating is that it actually forces your metabolism to adapt and become more efficient. Mm-hmm. And it was really one of the only things that I found that had such a profound impact on on metabolism. I mean, obviously, I think just exercising more and watching what you eat. Those are all great things. But that metabolism key was was pretty significant for me personally. So that's why I wanted to, to try it because I wanted to jumpstart my metabolism. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, you know, the ketogenic and some of these other uh, diets do as well. And in, this, in a real sense, it's very paleo because uh, periods of non-eating, periods of deprivation uh, were very much the case uh, in Paleolithic times. And the other thing about it is that, uh, you know, generally in, you know, when you lived in the cave, uh, you know, you didn't have a night light, uh, and, uh, a light inside your refrigerator that you could walk into after the sun went down, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are, there are other th- things that have drawn 
drew me to this as well. And um, the other uh, aspect is this cleaning out of your system. Um, and when you're, when you're not throwing a bunch of food in your system, your system does have a chance to, to, to clean out and it, it doesn't generate as much, uh, reactive oxygen species. So that's, um, you know, which are, are toxic. Um, and this whole concept of autophagy where mm -hmm. you're just, you're just cleaning out, um, all these damaged cells. So it has kind of a detoxifying aspect to it as well. And, um, and that of course lends to the research on how it is, has become kind of an anti-aging. Yes. Um, you know, diet. Uh, it, it'll help on, on many levels. It's not just about weight loss. And I, I think that's what became really clear with our paper. Right. And autophagy is such a, a neat word, and it's really a buzzword in anti-aging research these days. And it literally means auto means self, and phage means to eat. So, in effect, you're eating yourself. Well, okay, but, you know, you're actually sort of uh, consuming some of the accumulated uh, waste products that may build up within uh, your cell. You're getting rid of cellular debris, uh, and uh, that uh, is a process that's uh, inhibited when you're, you know, put the feedback on nonstop. You actually inhibit uh, autophagy. Uh, and then we enumerated several of the other uh, mechanisms. There's uh, the sirtuin pathway that seems to be rebooted by caloric restriction. Well, this is a form of caloric restriction. Uh, and uh, there's what's called the mTOR pathway, uh, and the mTOR pathway is actually one of the pathways that uh, a lot of anti-aging researchers are looking at, and, and that pathway uh, is inhibited uh, by intermittent fasting. So, you know, they're not just putting people on the scale to measure the benefits. Uh, they're looking at some of these biochemical events uh, that may be very favorable, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that it can influence our genes directly mm -hmm. is fascinating to me. Um, you know, I, I uh, with Dr. Allschiller in our work, you know, we talk a lot about epigenetics and how how do how can we influence health on a very deep cellular level, and that's why I was drawn to this uh, intermittent fasting. And you know, there's the flip side to that coin too. Yep. You know, there's the the, uh, the ability that we want to have our cells grow properly, and we want them to be able to regenerate themselves, and we want our cells to be healthy. So it's cleaning out the dead cells, but it's also helping the the healthy cells become even healthier. Mm -hmm. uh, so it kind of works on both sides of that coin. Yeah, I'm I'm going to quote uh, actually our own article here. This is uh, excerpted from Matson's 2019 review in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it really states the case very eloquently. Um, uh, he and his co-authors write: uh, intermittent fasting elicits evolutionarily conserved adaptive cellular responses that are integrated between and within organs in a manner that improves glucose regulation, increases stress resistance, and suppresses inflammation. So, I, you know, that's a, a very nice uh, summation of some of these um, biochemical processes that kick in uh, when you intermittent fast. Yeah, exactly. And I, that I, that's still another reason why I was drawn to it. And it's this issue of chronic inflammation and how we want to be on an anti-inflammation diet and we want to be able to reduce inflammation. Um, and and I, I really am drawn to anything 
that helps reduce chronic inflammation because we know that the damage that it can be do- that can be done. Obviously, as a cancer survivor, I want to do everything I can to reduce my risk of getting mm-hmm. cancer again. And and one of the the ways that I do that is by reducing chronic inflammation. Um, but and you know what it. it the other, you know, it, it has benefits to the heart. So here I am, a menopausal woman for 25 years. Mm-hmm. I'm at huge Higher risk. Cardiovascular risk, card- yeah. Yep. Exactly. And osteoporosis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, and, and other other things. Um, and, and this diet seems to hit all those touch points for me. Indeed. Uh, so, you know, in, in part two, I want to enumerate some of the conditions for which uh, this is beneficial. But... Um, before we sign off for part one, uh, there's a very interesting concordance between exercise and time-restricted feeding. And uh, I think I've unconsciously adopted this because uh, over the years I've evolved a pattern of exercising. I like to exercise in the morning. Uh, but, uh, you know, I get up, uh, you know, sometimes there's a household full of people uh, enjoying, uh, you know, uh, their uh, veggie omelets and, uh, you know, fruit bowls and you know, delicious oatmeal and sausages, and I kind of just have to walk by them to jump on my bike or, you know, jump in the water or take a run um, so that I can exercise on an empty stomach and actually prolong my time-restricted fasting because it's kind of hard to really be hungry when you're exercising intensely. I mean, yes, if you do like a marathon event or something, maybe four hours into it. Um, but, uh, and then I eat. And, and there may be some inherent wisdom in this. I mean, unconsciously, I was doing the right thing. Oh, absolutely. And I, and that was uh, new to me. Uh, I always was of the belief that, oh my gosh, I can't, emp- I can't exercise on an empty stomach. Yeah, I'm going to get weak. And I'm gonna- yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I have found, so this morning I had the opportunity to go and golf 18 holes and I walked Ooh. and I uh, did a 16 hour fast and I, I was I I golfed probably better than I have in a long time honestly. <laughs> I mean I was super hungry when yeah. I was done. Sure. Uh and and then I I ate a, you know a good a good meal but um I I think that it is interesting. I have friends who tell me, "Oh, I could never do that. How how can you not?" I mean my other friends who were golfing, they were snacking and you yeah. know just to try to cuz you know 18 Having holes walking power it's a bar, good, you know, good, right, you know. Exactly. Like, It'll make my golf swing better, you know, I can focus right. better. <laughs> You know, that whole thing. Yeah. It, I'm, you know, and the studies, like the commercials you know, encourage us to believe that because, you know, if you're hangry, you know, your performance goes down. But actually, uh, there's a real clarity that occurs if you're uh, accustomed to exercising uh, on an empty stomach. I mean, up to a certain point, obviously. Right. Yeah. And the, and the research bears it out. I mean, the research is preliminary, but in both men and women, it does show uh, that it will uh, enhance the benefits of the exercise. And as you mentioned, it will enhance the benefits of the fast itself. So I've now been tracking how many days that I exercise on an empty stomach. And mm-hmm. um, that, that's been a good motivator for me as well. Yeah. It, it says here in our article, the combination of TRF and exercise increases the adenosine monophosphate to adenosine triphosphate ratio, that's a measure of cellular energetics, and stimulates mitochondrial biogenesis. I'll take some of that. And mitochondrial mm-hmm. stress resistance, resulting in improved exercise performance. So, uh, yeah, you know, maybe uh, we're revving our mitochondria and we're improving our, ex- our energy efficiency uh, by adopting that, that uh, mode of exercising. 
I agree. I agree. I think that, uh, and that's also when I noticed uh, that my weight loss got better, or it was uh, more accelerated when I started um, exercising on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you start, there's a certain point where you become sort of a lean, mean, fat-burning machine that sort of starts to, the, the metabolic pieces fall into place, uh, and you actually begin to uh, utilize stored fat uh, rather than... Uh, constantly repleting your calories with uh, food and the cravings uh, yeah, tend to dissipate a bit too. Yeah, that's true. I, I definitely would not describe myself as a lean, mean, fat burning <laughs> machine. Not yet. I think I've got, I've got a ways to go before I get to that point, but, but I feel good. Yeah, no, it, it clearly, uh, there are benefits. All right. We're going to get into some of the tangible benefits uh, of this. Uh, for obesity, we'll look at some of the studies for cardiovascular disease, for cancer, for the brain. Uh, some controversies exist about its application in diabetes. We'll examine those. And even in inflammatory disorders, there's a trial underway at Germany's largest university hospital, the Charité in Berlin, to evaluate the effects of fasting on rheumatoid arthritis. Very cool. And we'll also talk about some of the no-nos, some of the contraindications when it comes to intermittent fasting in part two. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest is Carolyn Gazella, with whom I wrote uh, this article for Natural Medicine Journal. Um, Carolyn, can you give us the heads up where people can find that? Absolutely. If you go to naturalmedicinejournal.com, uh, scroll down. We're on the on the home page of the Natural Medicine Journal, naturalmedicinejournal.com. Scroll down and you'll see our paper. Click on it. And our journal is an open access journal, so it is free uh, to anybody who wants to read the paper. It's a great journal. I even read it when I don't have articles in it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed publishing it. We've been publishing since 2009. Nice. So we've been around for a while. Yeah, we, we do a lot of great stuff. Yeah, it's really one of the preeminent uh, integrative medicine journals. It's great. I'm Dr. Thank Ronald you. Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. We'll be right back with part two. 